0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad.
1: Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's.
2: The Rock Pile Report. With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear, he likes to
1: get in Max's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger, my
2: rollerblading
1: blonde mohawk
2: producer, the pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast.
1: I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Sean McDermott, if I was the head coach, here's my point. I would say, Josh, you are my starting quarterback against the Miami Dolphins. But here's the deal, Josh. No matter what happens, unless you get hurt, I'm giving you the entire first half of the Miami game to show me what you can do. But if you don't get it done, after halftime's over, Trubisky's going in, you're sitting on the bench, you can't get it done, you're not a rookie quarterback anymore. I'm not listening to your excuses. Josh, I'm going to be fair with you. How does that sound? Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Jim in North Tonawanda, a local radio caller. From Sal Capaccio's Extra Point Show on WGR 550. You can find it on the Audacity app and get all your replays there. Wow, is it one of those days?
2: It is. It is is one of those days. The fact that we lost, and I can't drink because I'm going to go to work here in a little bit. Like, this is one of those nights where I want to be able to, to have a beverage. But before we really get into the game, there's one thing that needs to be said. And you didn't have it in your notes, and it needs to be said... Bills and beers, rest in peace. No, pour one out, huge one for bills and beers.
1: It it actually like I, I I wanted to find a classier way to do this, but I don't have one. Folks, when we started podcasting, there was three, actually four, it three or four bills. Bills and what was it, Buffalo Bill breakdown?
2: I don't know bills and bills and beers us. Dave Palermo's Numb Bills fan podcast, and I think Fairburn and Biscaglia had one.
1: That was it. That's all that existed in the realm of Bills podcast when we started. And we commiserated with Lars, the, the kind of showrunner for Bills and Beers they operated at the Chicago Bills backers bar they would do po- immediate post game shows which i think we illustrated is a terrible idea for our podcast
2: yeah cuz one po- of us
1: i'm not pointing any fingers might be a degenerate drinker when he gets frustrated about football again chris don't look at me like that i'm not pointing fingers i'm not blaming anyone i'm just saying someone here might get a little too excited for that yeah with that in mind they did this week in and week out for over a decade
2: during the season. They never did off season stuff.
1: Didn't matter. Yeah. The fact is, is that they were podcasting. They were pioneers. They were at the forefront of this thing. They were the first people that we ever really had to commiserate with.
2: Yeah, that was our. That's what we looked up to. And was bills and beers.
1: So to hear that last Tuesday they aired their final episode, it. I'm not gonna lie. It struck a chord with me. You know, hearing them, hearing Lars record the final episode of Bills and Beers. And he said, you know, you left the door open, as you would. But it's also one of those things where you, like, it's the end of an era. And it's just weird that we've come so far. Yeah. And it hasn't been that long. Yeah. We're the old men. We're the Methuselahs.
2: Yeah. Are we the longest running Bills podcast now? We're getting there. (laughs)
1: We're getting there. If we're not the mountaintop, we're damn close. That's wild. Yeah. Well, they'll cancel us eventually.
2: (laughs) Yeah, eventually.
1: (laughs) Eventually they'll come for us. But until they do, we're going to keep doing this. But shout out to Lars. Shout out to Cassie. Shout out to Suj. Shout out to Lars because he's the guy we talk to most often. I I can't wait to have that guy at our tailgate and just get to finally meet him in person. Yeah. But, Chris, to Bills and Bears.
2: Bills and Bears. Raise a glass.
1: Now, the topic of the day. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I want you to, first of all, thank you to everybody who showed up at the tailgate. Thank you to those of you who wanted to and got stuck in that ridiculous traffic. Chris, it was gridlock.
2: Yeah, I heard about it.
1: Journalists and players couldn't make it to the stadium. That's how bad it was. So there was dozens of people like Ted Gartland, who I'm still sad to this, this very moment that we didn't get to meet specifically because we packed up the tailgate early and went in to make sure we could be there for kickoff. Like, we, we missed uh, Mike Crow. His dad, I ended up running into them for 30 seconds until I got yelled at to get out of the aisle in the stadium. And I felt terrible because out of all the people that we've known for as long as we've been doing this, I've had conversations with Mike about him getting engaged, about his dad, about just his job, being a first responder down in South Florida, where, Chris, Florida man, Florida man territory.
2: Yes. Yes.
0: Thank you
1: to everybody who not just came to the tailgate, but who also intended to come because you guys are the, like we're all, we're just real fans. We're out there just like you are. And I love to get to meet you guys and see you face to face. I'll I'll tell you what crow. The next time you're up here, I promise we'll make it a weekend long thing. I'll take you out to dinner. We'll go get some barbell. It'll be, it'll be great. Shout out to the Syracuse crew that tailgated directly next to us. First of all, the guy with the Pittsburgh Steelers' wife, who he subjected to our podcast on the drive-up, that's a ballsy move. I mean, Chris, we're not everybody's fodder. Also, his friend, who looked like comedian Ian Fidance. That's all I could think of when I was looking at your face, buddy. I love you. I love the two of you, and I can't wait to see you at the Washington game. We had a lot of fun. And thank you for the breakfast burrito. Your friend needs to think about the bacon a little bit more. He needs to analyze it. Chris, now you make exotic bacon. I do. Why don't you tell them what you do?
2: I uh, will. Well, A, I do bacon in the oven, and I baste it in a mixture of bourbon, maple syrup, and uh, cayenne pepper. Guys. And mustard, too. I'll use Weber's. I'll put Weber's in there, too. There's
1: so many options for you here. I can't wait to see what you cook up at the next tailgate. I'll see you there. But it was just a great day. I was there with my father, there with the guys. We were there before sun up. It was, Chris, it was everything that I wanted to be. F1 Dave came. Yep. Just Dave, I think his name is on Twitter.
2: Yep, he's got it. I think he's on the board there with a the pick. Yeah, him and Mark were doing shoeies, watching
1: because Mark, Mark's one of these guys who has more money than he knows what to do with. So he buys a battery pack that can power a TV, and they're literally streaming the F one race at our tailgate.
2: Not surprised. And then
1: because the guy who's a Bills fan won the race, they're doing they're
2: chugging Labatt's out of shoes. I saw that on Twitter too. How gross is that? That's disgusting.
1: Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. It was such a great day. And then there was a game, which we're gonna recap here in a second. But I wanna I wanna fast forward. So for those of you who think you know how I feel and or like you know how your Monday went, let me walk you through this. So I wake up, I don't feel well, as most people who drink the way we drink don't feel well the next day. I get up and I'm driving into work, and I'm I'm probably about fifteen to twenty minutes away from home. On a 40-minute ride. I'm halfway. I'm driving. I'm just kind of zoning out into the road. I'm following my usual path. And I feel something on my arm. And all of a sudden, I feel this stinging pain. Chris, you see it?
2: Yeah, I see that. How
1: swollen is that?
2: It looks swollen from I got there. stung
1: by a fucking bee in my car. It literally just crawled up out of the seat. and It wasn't even flying around. It just stung me. And I had a Tommy Boy moment where I just had to throw on the hazards and pull off the road and jump out of my vehicle and flail a little bit just to make sure there weren't any other bees on me. That's how my Monday started. (laughs) Chris, that's fitting for a Bills season opening loss, correct? 100%. So that brings us to our week one recap, the Steelers 23 and the Bills 16. Stats of the game. Ben Roethlisberger, 18-32 for 188 yards and a 56% completion percentage. One touchdown, two sacks, and an 83.9 rating. Josh Allen, 30-51. of 51. 51! Mark it down! 51! 270 yards, 58%, one touchdown, three sacks, 79.7 quarterback rating. Wide receiver Stephon Diggs, 14 targets, which was a team high. Nine receptions, 69 yards, four total first downs. Wide receiver Gabe Davis, two catches on five targets, 40 yards, one touchdown. Running back Najee Harris, 16 attempts, 45 yards, 2.8 yards per carry, one catch for
2: four yards. I think it was seven carries for eight yards in the first half. Yeah.
1: Offensive guard John Feliciano. 40% of the team's allowed pressures in his first game as left guard. Defensive end Cam Hayward, 34 pass rush reps, 8 pressures, 23.5%. Penalty disparity, Pittsburgh, 5 for 32 yards. Buffalo, 8 for 81 yards, multiple first downs, and one one takeaway removed from the board. And third down conversion percentage, Pittsburgh. 4 of 12 for 33%. Buffalo, 8 of 18 for 44%. I really didn't think we'd have to start this this podcast, this game recap podcast off on a down note. But Chris, isn't that where you start these things? Generally. Okay. Questionable coaching decisions. I get why everyone's fired up. Zach Moss being inactive hurts. When I saw that, I legitimately questioned it. I was like, wait a minute, that can't be right. Is he hurt? No, he's a healthy scratch. Why? He was one of the NFL's best pass-protecting running backs last season. And he showed that he has hands, like that he can augment your passing attack with an early-season touchdown last year and a preseason touchdown reception that Josh Allen threaded the needle on and he didn't drop the ball. When you compare him to Matt Breda, the only advantage Breda has is speed. That's it. That's literally all he brings to the table. And if you're only going to use him on four carries, how big of an impact is he really going to make?
2: Dad, I understand that decision. No, oh,
1: no, no, there was a lot. Uh, the underutilization of Emmanuel Sanders. Now, I don't know how bad his foot injury was before the game, but here's what I can tell you. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders saw limited targets when it mattered, and then when they did go to him, obviously him and Allen haven't developed a chemistry. The decisions to punt, to go for it and to not kick field goals. I, now I'll say this, being there prior to kickoff, we got to watch Tyler Bass miss a couple of practice field goals and warm-ups. And I understand how that might shade some of the decision making that goes on inside of a coach's head. but there's a reason to let him chip like, to not let him chip away at a lead when the offense is struggling and points are at a premium. I can't co sign that. Chris, there were some moments where I think the one was the fourth and eight. Yeah, it would have been.
2: It was four, yeah, fourth and eight, 53 yard field goal. You you kick that field goal, you're going up two scores, 13 to three at that point, which changes how the Steelers are going to come out the next drive on offense, knowing that they're down two scores. It changes
1: everything. And yet, you as an offense decide, you know what? We can pick up nine. On fourth and eight. Instead of trusting this kid who, if you think back to that Arizona game last year. Yeah, it was in a dome. He hit a 60-yarder. I don't want to hear about it. If you kicked a 60-yarder once, I trust you enough to kick a 50-something-yarder in the wind. Uh, You go back to last year's divisional round playoff game. Did Tyler Bass not outkick Justin Tucker? Yeah. Yeah. So then what the fuck are we sitting here talking about? Why is that even a question in your head as a coaching staff?
2: I don't get it. We'll never know. Well,
1: I will know when I tell people's vehicles with broken beer. <laughs> so no, wait. Am I threatening? But No, I'm not threatening anybody here with violence. Nobody on our coaching staff, certainly. Oh God, it was one of the most infuriating things. Meanwhile, other times they would decide to punt. When you go, wait, it's fourth and three. You're going to punt from here, and they go, well, the numbers say, the fucking numbers are you looking at? The same numbers that I was just looking at for Tyler Bass that say that, hey, he can make that kick. You should let him try.
2: Didn't you know that our analytics department is fronted by Doug Marone? So they're a bunch of baloney-eating assholes. Great. 100%. Wonderful. Wonderful.
1: No, there were some really costly decisions made by this coaching staff that they can't run away from, and the displeasure was palpable. I mean, it took the air out of that stadium when they went. Chris, you might even say like that's one of the turning points of the game when you decide to go for it on fourth and eight instead of just taking the layup for the three points because you still gave them the ball right where you were trying to get it from. You just got what's more probable that we're going to connect for nine yards in a game where we haven't really been able to move the football or that Tyler Bass can bang one in from 53.
2: Give me Bass from 53. Thank you! Plus that fourth and eight play, we threw it down to the goal line. Yes. Into double coverage. So it wasn't exactly a design play to get the nine yards for the first down.
1: And that's my problem with a lot of this, which we're going to get to in a little bit, but... There was a lot of questionable decisions for, on, on behalf of our coaching staff. Not, this has nothing to do with the players, the way they executed the plays. They were already set up to fail in some regards by the decision makers over on the sideline. And our high-power offense got humbled. This high-flying Buffalo Bills offense that we all thought we were going to see. Yeah, that didn't matriculate. Instead, through four quarters of football, they more closely resembled the offense we saw in the postseason, which makes a little bit of sense. Like, think about the level of competition we saw in the playoffs. All of a sudden, we're not we're, we're not uh, pulling a. Uh, what's the song that they play for the Harlem Globetrotters? Do 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 as they like. Uh, who, who are they?
2: I don't know the name of the song, but I'll, I will definitely isolate that and use that for future reference is <laughs> what the song actually is.
1: What I know is, is that you're talking about oh, what the Washington generals is who they usually play. Yeah. Yeah. And they come in and uh, Metal Arc Lemon would come in. And do
2: <laughs> I don't remember their names. You <laughs> or... get
1: the ball on a string like we used to do that to teams. They looked like what we saw in the playoffs last year compared to the teams we saw clowning the New England Patriots on Monday Night Football. And they they were good enough to beat the teams they faced, but they didn't make things easy. I mean, what, we ran four and five wide receiver sets, more than 50% of our snaps. So that right there told you we had no commitment to the run game at all. Our top three wide receivers were held to just 181 total yards, a handful of first downs, and none had a catch of more than 16 yards downfield. For a vertical passing attack that's wide receiver driven, that is not sustainable, and it's not anything that's gonna help you find success. And our best skill players who saw the most targets, they couldn't convert them into anything meaningful. I dug into the numbers, Chris, Diggs In the first half, Diggs had five catches, two of which were nullified by penalties. If I include all of them, those five catches went for negative two, six, zero, seven, zero, and ten. So is that six? Maybe I don't know how to count.
2: You don't. But that's
1: six, one of which got brought back on a penalty. One of the zero-yard catches was an offside play. He finished with less than 20 yards total for the half and just one catch for a first down. Cole Beasley! For the game, Beasley caught one pass for a first down. Just two passes of more than eight yards and couldn't produce. I mean, the reason that everyone said we don't need a new tight end was because they said, listen, Cole Beasley's the guy who does the tight end role. He finds the soft spot in zones behind your linebackers. He was a safety blanket last year all year for Josh Allen. That withered on the vine on Sunday. Couldn't find that space there to extend drives. That's 27 targets between two players. More than half of the passes Josh threw. And they gave you no spark or any real production. And then Allen's chemistry with Sanders, like I said, it's a work in progress. They're either not on the same page. I mean, there were there were some balls that he hummed in there that I just don't think Sanders was ready for because it looked like it came in too hot and he just couldn't grab it. Or he didn't understand how much harder he was going to have to keep running when Allen put some air underneath a deep shot. It was frustrating. Now, not all of that is on the players themselves or the execution. I mean, the Steelers had a really effective game plan. They put their... Essentially, they said you're not going to get any yards after the catch if and when the two of you touch the ball because you are the engine that drives the Bills offense. I mean, look at this. In terms of yards after the catch, Beasley finished 57th in the league with 3.2 and Diggs was 70th in the NFL this week at 2.2 yards after the catch. The games that we've won, Chris, it's been because those two guys were able to operate downfield, find space, and then exploit the cornerbacks when they did get into the open territory. None of
0: that happened.
1: And it's because the way <laughs> the way the Steelers built their defense, they did the almost like Ben don't break Tampa 2, but also they had better linebackers. Like Joe Kuzma warned us. He said, look, you we're going into this game with much upgraded linebackers from what you saw last year. Those linebackers did a great job in space of taking away our ability to operate, at least on a consistent enough basis that Josh Allen was forced to go to different reads before he'd make his throw, and it kept our biggest players from making the biggest impact. It's just frustrating, isn't it, watching the way that panned out?
2: Oh, it is. My problem, because you know I didn't get to go to the game, so I watched some of the game at work I have a break at 1 o'clock, so I get to watch the start of this game. I watch Isaiah McKenzie run the ball back 75 yards, and then we go three and out, and I believe that really killed us for the day. I don't know why, as an offensive coordinator, you wouldn't see that 75-yard return. You're already in field goal range. You know, Home opener, let's get these motherfuckers and take a shot at the end zone on the very first play. That's what I would have fucking done if I was Day Bowl.
1: And you sound like the uh, the caller that opened the show Because if you were the coach, we probably wouldn't have won the game. Anyway, so what I will say is that the Steelers come in here having played this offense twice in two years. And knowing what we put on tape last season, clearly they came in with a better game plan in place and better weapons at their disposal on defense to effectively disarm our most potent weapons. So kudos to them, right? Yeah. You, you guys found a way to make us look like jerk-offs. Now, it is worth mentioning, and it's going to kind of become a storyline, if the Bills allow it to, over the next two to three weeks, that similar dynamics plagued the Rams in the past. And in 2018, Sean McVay shows up and rolls out this dynamic, motion-based passing attack that takes the NFL by storm, and they lead the Rams all the way to the Super Bowl. But in that Super Bowl, they get exposed pretty badly as being like, hey, we've sniffed out your concepts, we understand your motions, and we know that if we change our pre-snap looks, you're going to have a hard time figuring out what we're doing, but we already know where you are. In 2019, the Rams attack grinds to a halt which was also missing a healthy Todd Gurley. And they take a major step backwards because enough tape had been compiled that they could learn the tricks of the offense. And it wasn't until 2020 when McVay, with a tweaked approach to this familiar scheme that everyone thought they knew, he threw in new wrinkles. He found new ways to do things like, hey, we have a motion man. We're going to throw to that motion man three out of five times instead of one out of five. Little tweaks like that. Once again, they just catapult themselves into the upper echelons of NFL scoring. What's more frustrating is that if your offensive attack got, like if you're the Buffalo Bills, one of the things you get mad at, you could say, look, this, this scheme might have gotten figured out. Maybe they took a look at us having played us three years in a row now. They figured us out. But even then, you gave it to them because you got cute too often. Something that I'm going to expand on a little bit more later. But it was an interesting departure from what we thought we'd seen from them to open 2021, given the results that they created in 2020 and the continuity of quarterback and offensive coordinator. Right? You thought that our offense was going to pick up where it left off in the regular season last year, right, Chris? Yes. So did it jar you at all to see this departure from that and that, hey, Against operational echelon competition, this team is really struggling to find any kind of offensive continuity.
2: No, I just generally chalk it up to Dable having a bad day plus Allen having a bad day. Good players are allowed to have bad days. We just didn't have it week one. Nothing to get okay. you know to you know, get on the Bills hype bus about.
1: Okay, but it's on the two of them, Dable and Allen, to put in the work to illustrate that they aren't one trick ponies. And that his scheme from last season can be adaptable on the fly. And that they need – there's some urgency to do so. Because there are some games coming up here pretty quickly. Games against Tennessee. Games – well, Tennessee. I don't know who they are after watching this. But games against Kansas City. Like, that, that game is coming up. Yeah, You have to be ready for it. And if you're going to bring that offense, I mean, you're – what is it? die? Uh, Sean Connery, no, you never bring a knife to a gunfight. That's what the Bills will be if they find themselves in that position four or five weeks from now. They have an opportunity to rebound, but they as both both quarterback and, and play caller have to get better. Yeah. Then you look at what went wrong. The Steelers' defensive line won the day against the Bills' offensive line. I mean, just as the stats that I dredged up indicate, we didn't get enough bang for our buck from our biggest names And while people want to throw all that at Josh Allen's doorstep, and a little bit of that's warranted, he even owns some of it himself. Allen didn't get nearly as much help from the big uglies up front as he did last season, and the results were pretty evident. I mean, the Bills offensive line, 24 pressures allowed, six penalties for 50 total yards, 40 of which were accepted. They were creating pressure with just three or four down linemen, which was part of the key of the game. They only had one blitz all game. At least one of our offensive tackles was allowing a pressure on 15% of all offensive snaps. Chris, that doesn't sound like a recipe for success.
2: No, it doesn't. Somebody has to win a fucking matchup. The one question I had when I had to rewatched the game Sunday night when I got home from from work, and I I did see Dawkins get beat quite a bit. So my question would be, is he 100% healthy from his bout with COVID? We have no idea. There's that's, no way that's to know. That's my only question.
1: It's it's going to be hard to tell. And ultimately, that's a problem, right? Yeah. If his cardio from taking the whole, a, not the whole, but a giant chunk of the offseason off. Yeah,
2: because he did say he spent a couple days in the hospital. So hey, If he's not back
1: to being normal, that's a problem. As is Darrell Williams. Hey, you go up against TJ. TJ Watt's like a prize fighter. You fight him once and you beat him, it's, it's not like he doesn't learn. And he's going to come back to the table the next time you see him with some different tricks up his sleeve. And he exposed Darrell Williams pretty badly.
2: Oh, yeah, that was another thing that I, that I I mean, I, I wrote a handful of notes down, but they're just like one line, which was, why aren't we blocking or chipping with tight ends on Watt and the guys on the edge?
1: Look at you! Football thoughts! Hell yeah!
2: Yeah, Woo! that's what I thought.
1: No, and this and this calls into question not having Zach Moss as a part of your game plan, knowing that he was your best run-protecting runner or, back last year. Or Lee Smith. <laughs> or Lee Smith. Now, I wish I could tell you you're wrong, Chris, because I do love. I'm never wrong. I do love telling you you're wrong, but this is one of those moments. And plan an interior offensive line and offensive guard. The swap of Ford and Feliciano from left guard to right guard. I mean, Ford played better than we've seen him play so far. I mean, he had the second best pass blocking grade on the team behind Mitch Morris. But Feliciano was fucking terrible. He was awful. He's playing at a lighter weight, which was supposed to work better for us in terms of his ability to move and block on the run, get out on the edge so we could pull guard and center. We could do all these things if he's lighter. In this game... The sandpaper that he usually brings to the table wasn't anywhere to be found. And we paid for it dearly. He's a guy whose game requires an ability to play with power and a little bit of nastiness. And if you're just getting... If you're... I'm not going to call it. You got treated like a bitch by Cam Hayward. He slapped your hands out of the way. And then sometimes you fell down before he could even touch you. That's... I'm sorry. And people go, oh, you wouldn't say that to John Feliciano's face. You're right. Because he would still, even at his reduced weight and his reduced sandpaper, fold me into a hot pocket and take a bite out of me. Something, Chris, I'm sure would entertain you to no
2: end. I'd watch it. I'd film it.
1: It was just a tough day against one of the NFL's better front sevens. Now, the Bills are going to face easier competition, but at the end of the day, that's the quality of unit you're going to have to have an answer for if you think you're worth a shit in the AFC this year. Not everything was bad, and anybody who's hanging their head needs to shut the hell up right now, because the Bills' defense had a major bounce back from what we saw in their final game of 2020. Not everything
2: went their way. I mean,
1: defensive the defensive pass interference calls were damning, right? The phantom one that takes the interception off the board
2: yeah, that, I saw that. that Late was like, flag. There's a ticky tack. Oh. Very ticky tack.
1: That's one of those things where I feel bad for people wearing the opposing jersey who's sitting next to me. Because it's not your fault. You didn't make that ref throw that flag. But sometimes I want to bite your ear. Like when I see that flag and I know what just happened, you have no control over it. But I want to bite the nose off your face. I'm so angry. I don't because I enjoy my season tickets. Just know that that's a thing in my head. That sucked. And also, we have a cornerback two problem that our coaching staff really, really has to pray they can find an answer for. I mean, Kevin Massari is a guy I don't typically see eye to eye with on Twitter much. But he has a great clip of Wallace falling down after biting on a double move that if Big Ben had seen how wide open that guy was, that's that's a throw for six all day long. Things like that happened a bunch over the course of the day. we were lucky because the Steelers' plan on offense kept big plays like that from developing. So in the grand scheme of things, when you think about all the things that went wrong, we should be pleasantly surprised with the fact that the Bills' defense, I mean, what is this, against one of three to the four hardest teams we're going to see this season on our schedule. I mean, depending on what you think of Jameis Winston. And what his son... If you think he can replicate what he did against the Packers with that Saints offense and with uh, Sean... Payton? Payton. It's one of the best quarterbacks we're going to see all season. Maybe one of the best teams. One of the top three teams we'll see all year. The pressure seemed like it was all generated by the Steelers' D. But the reality is Big Bang, as we predicted, paced the entire NFL in time to throw at just 2.3 seconds from snap to release. There was no chance that the Buffalo Bills pass rush was ever going to get home. And kudos to their offensive coordinator for being smart enough to say, listen, this offensive line, not tested. They have no experience. They haven't worked together for that long. We are not going to expose Ben Roethlisberger, who is our only chance at winning anything this season. We're not going to let him take shots. So credit to Matt Canada for drawing up a game plan that kept him out of harm's way. Given that, the fact that we landed two sacks bodes well for our defense in that regard, I think. Considering four other defensive linemen, in Butler, Epinesa, Phillips, and Oliver, all had hits on the quarterback. When you're going up against a scheme that's specifically designed to not let the quarterback get touched... Now, you as a lay fan, that stat probably stands out bigger than you thought, right? Yeah, it does. Then, while Pittsburgh's wide receivers made some timely plays in the second half, especially late, people who want to cry about Levi Wallace are, hey, fair, I'll give you that. But when you look at the average cushion and separation achieved by Pittsburgh's wide receivers, our coverage units were pretty solid. Claypool, two yards of average cushion. Deontay Johnson, 3.4. Juju Smith Schuster, 5.9. Now, just to put this into perspective, Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders averaged 6.9 yards of cushion and 7.4 respectively. Illustrating that while there were obviously plays where our secondary could have been better, they they did give up. Uh, like the one, it was a third down. It's a big one. You're saying, okay, here's our last gasp. If we can get a stop here, maybe we get the ball back on our own 10, and we have a chance to march down. Maybe go stop the Steelers from winning this football game. They complete like a, a, what felt like a 15 or 16, 17 yard pass to Deontay Johnson on third down, and it kind of seals the game for them. But they went long stretches of the game. With fantastic coverage on the Steelers' most dangerous offensive weapons. And that's why when you look at Ben Roethlisberger having 188 yards, all of his throws had to be big time. They had to be meaningful winning throws. (sighs) I mean, that's it. People scoffed yesterday when they heard Frazier defend Levi Wallace. The reality is that for as many times as you're watching him do something that looked bad, there was more snaps where they were all over the playmakers of Pittsburgh. And that's why Ben Roethlisberger finishes with one of the worst passing totals of his entire career. And some of the most maligned individuals by you assholes on Twitter had some of themselves a great game at Oliver. And Oliver was dominant. He was constantly behind the line of scrimmage. He was flashing against the re interior offensive line. He was treating them like the noobs they really are. Tremaine Edmonds looked great. Chris, remember last year, week one, the yeah. Bills have. You know, Tremaine Edmonds doesn't play well because he's injured. And everyone starts talking about oh, he's not worth a contract. He wasn't worth the pick we spent on him. This sucks. Do you know that kid's more than a decade younger than us?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it is. I didn't notice him having a really good game because most of my focus was on how well our defensive line played against their O-line.
1: And that was it. Is it. He did a great job scraping and cleaning up around the edges. And Teron Johnson had a great game. Even though he was a little hobbled with that hand cast, he still got out there and made plays. Seven tackles, and you you see that he's a very willing tackler, even though he's small. You want to see him in person, go check out Eric Turner's Twitter. He's got a video breakdown of some of the best plays Teron Johnson made on Sunday. That guy's a dog. I love him. I love him on this football team, and it makes me sad that we might not be able to pay him. Our defensive line didn't let their rushing attack. One of the things that we were worried about when Star late was announced that he wasn't going to play... With the size of the Steelers' new new look offensive line, they never got to establish themselves. I mean, look at look at Najee Harris's pedestrian stat line, and then consider that in a tweet by Jim Sanis from NumberFire.com, Najee Harris finished fourth in the NFL for running backs in terms of red zone market share. Fifty fifty seven percent of the Steelers' touches and targets in Sunday's game inside the twenty. Went to Najee Harris. What did they get out of that? Dick. We held him to nothing. And he's a guy who, listen, if you're looking for silver linings like the rest of us, remember those stats in two to three weeks when you look at box scores from around the NFL and see Najee Harris, who I've watched him play. I've watched his whole collegiate career. I know firsthand that he's, he's one of the more reliable and explosive running backs in the NCAA last year. When he puts up a 100-yard game two weeks from now, or you fantasy people who played him because you figured the Bills sucked against the run, and then he put up nothing for you and you lost, pay attention two weeks from now. When he goes out there and puts up 110 and a touch on somebody, it wasn't his fault. No, it's because our, our defensive line really did the yeoman's work Making life easy on our linebackers to come downhill, make the right plays, and shut that shit down. It's incredible. And it's something you can hang your hat on. And that's why my hero tonight is Ed Oliver.
2: Do you
1: know who
0: the real heroes are? The guys who wake up every morning and go into their normal jobs and get a distress call from the commissioner and take off their glasses and change into capes and fly around fighting crime.
1: That guy was everywhere. He was the Pittsburgh Steelers' worst nightmare when you're talking about the interior of the defensive line. I mean, when you look at it, three solo tackles, one tackle for loss, one quarterback hit. He did everything but get a sack, but it's the plays that he doesn't get credit for in the box score. It's when you saw him just knifing into the backfield after the snap. Or literally just, there was was one play, and I wish I gave a shit enough to go back and look at what the Steelers guard's name is.
2: Most likely a rookie.
1: Off the snap, he just slaps. Everyone gave Cam Hayward props for owning John Feliciano, right? Because they're two veterans. Yeah. Ed Oliver just slapped this kid. It was like when I played patty cake with my son. He came up for a run block attempt, and Ed Oliver just very casually slapped
2: his hands away
1: and was in the backfield in less than a second and a half.
2: So it was like the guard thought it was patty cake and Ed Oliver thought it was a Russian slap fight.
1: Yeah, it was ridiculous.
2: (laughs) Knocked him out.
1: And it was one of those moments where I'm like, oh, Ed Oliver, maybe he's ready. Maybe he's finally scratching the surface of what we think he's capable of. And if I have an honorable mention to give, it's going to be Gabe Davis. Because we talked about him as one of our keys to the game last week. And he had only two targets in the first half. One of them for a 37-yard completion, the other one on 3rd and 5. On 3rd and 5, extending what would inevitably be his touchdown drive, which is the only offensive touchdown the Bills would score. Tell me Gabe Davis wasn't, isn't important. He's no, very He just wasn't, but isn't important
0: in this offense. He is very important. Plays a role. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Zero of the week.
1: I gotta give it to Brian Dable. Fucking
2: embarrassing! How is it that you buy Greg Thompson a nice steak dinner for the offensive... Before i he? come right
0: back to the well! Yes.
1: I'm going to read you a tweet from, don't take my word for it. I'm going to read you a tweet from Sports Rock 2. Ryan Ryan. Sullivan, host of the 585 Report over at Buffalo uh, Fanatics.
2: He sounds like me in this tweet.
1: In a game where you have Moss inactive and can't stop a four-man rush, bringing in Reggie Gilliam or Tommy Sweeney more than 2% of the time seems like common sense. Seems like a common sense adjustment Dable could have made. But I don't know play calling that, so someone feel free to correct me. You're not no, wrong. You're not wrong. No. One of the things that I hate is that Josh Allen walked out of this game falling on the sword the same way Sean McDermott did. I mean, they are the leaders of this team. Saying, oh, I was too aggressive. I didn't take what the defense gave me. bop, 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 bop. Your offensive coordinator didn't do you any service. I'd love to bag on Allen if he really did lose us this game. Allen was just trying to make shit happen. Chris, if I, if I have an aggressive quarterback who can throw the ball over them there mountains, don't you want him trying to win you the game? Yeah. Okay. So then you need an offensive coordinator who can step up and make small adjustments. If you say, listen, I can't change the way my quarterback is going to see this, so all I can do is make small adjustments to make his life easier, put in a Tommy Sweeney. Let's put in Reggie Gilliam as a pass protector since we sat Zach Moss. Why did none of this come to fruition?
2: I don't know. I
1: no, no. We'll never know.
2: No, I even I, I'm with Ryan. I'm not a uh, I mean football nuanced guy, and, and I noticed that we weren't helping our offensive line with any running backs blocking, tight ends chipping, none of that bullshit.
1: When you see it going poorly, it's on you as the play caller to save your hero. You you know that he has a hero complex. So it's on you to save your quarterback. And if you don't, then fuck you, you're the problem. You're the problem. Because I'll tell you what, I never, Chris, what what would I rather have? Rob Johnson taking sacks to protect his statistics? Or would I rather have a guy who's willing to go out there and maybe get himself killed to try to win us a football game? And I just want somebody smart enough to ride sidecar with him to keep him out of trouble. I don't think I'm asking for much. And I've got an honorable mention here, Chris, and I think it speaks to the game day atmosphere in the stadium. Whoever thought cashless transactions was with without upgraded Wi-Fi and internet in the stadium? Yeah, you're you're actually the biggest loser. Whoever dropped up that nonsense, but <laughs> masterclass, sir, you've out fucking done yourself. The Bills Stadium in light of COVID-19, for those of you at home who don't know, has decided to join places like Disneyland and local bars like Poor here in downtown in wholly cashless transactions and concourses. Now, that's not a bad thing. I mean, I can't recall the last time I paid cash for anything. I'm walking around right now with over $257 in cash in my wallet because people keep paying me for things and I don't spend it. But then I also forget to give it to my wife so she can deposit it. The problem is that the geniuses behind this switch over at One Bill's Drive didn't account for the fact that their, their Wi-Fi sucked. Chris, what is the signal like in that stadium as a technical guy?
2: It's usually pretty good. I mean, any, last time, what, 19 when I was going to games, it was fine. I could check my fantasy football scores and keep up with other scores around the okay. league.
1: Remember the times we tried to shoot video from inside the stadium?
2: Oh, yeah. That was fun. Go live on Twitter.
1: It didn't go well. There's no signal available because you have thousands of people all draining off the same towers. Anybody who's regularly attended football games and also gives a shit about fantasy football up until last year can probably tell you it's been criminally painful to operate on. So high-end tech meets low-end Internet access, and the results were exactly what you'd expect. I've got people in line. I've got a dad who I let me let cut me in line for water for water at one of the upper level concourses. And we're five people back in line and all of their terminals, the POS terminals lock. Because in their infinite wisdom, they said, well, we don't want places that are selling beer, being able to sell beer after halftime. Well, what they didn't anticipate was that every transaction would take 10 minutes. So lines were literally 30, 40-minute waits just for something as simple as two beers or a beer or a bottle of water and a pop for my kid. So you had thousands of disgruntled people already walking around the stadium. what, What are you trying to do? I mean, you're talking about a day like the idiot next to us who brought his girlfriend hammered to a Bills game, sat in the rock pile, and then got mad at my buddy because his arm kept brushing up against her. At a sporting event. My father had to intercede. My father, who's almost 60 years old, although I, I took one look at the kid and I'm like, my dad could kick your ass if you get out of hand. This is, I'm going to allow this. Because, Chris, I see this guy's drunk. We're in the third quarter. Nobody can buy bottled water. <laughs> it's, a, it's a disaster. So now this guy's angry and he just keeps yelling at Dan about touching his girlfriend. So my father goes to the end of the end of our seats To go sit next to this idiot and his drunk girlfriend. And the whole time I'm looking over and I'm like, you know what? I'm not even mad. I'm not even upset. And I I was talking to people at work about this and they go, wait a minute. You put your dad next to the drunk belligerent guy? I go, do you have any idea who Dave Gere is? I know who I am. And I know it's a direct... My wife always says, my father is one of the purest symbols of nature versus nurture. Because... I'm exactly like him, and I know that my dad would have whipped the shit out of the guy if he got out of line with him. I just didn't want Dan to get into trouble, and I figured an older guy might be a little less like, hey, your girlfriend's rubbing up on somebody, but he's, she's, not, she's not cheating on you with the, with the 60-year-old, right? Doesn't that sound like chaos? It is. Thank you, Buffalo Bills, for creating this scenario. Great. I really, really appreciate it. I mean, you you set up a bad scenario for both your employees and for fans. You had people getting screamed at, people throwing things. And at that point, the loss might have just been match on on gasoline at that point. (laughs) On a dumpster filled with fireworks. Because the behavior I saw out of people on our way out of the stadium and in some of the lots, all of this was a boiling over of frustration that honestly was a bad look for all of us. I mean, I get it. The idiots behind the stadium's various debacles didn't force anybody to show up. But they sure as hell didn't help. So I I pray to God that by the next time we go to the stadium, they have this shit figured out. Because that was anarchy. Between the traffic patterns not being up to par, you, you didn't anticipate the volume of people to the point where players were almost late to the stadium. You didn't anticipate how your POS system's locking people halfway through, but your terminals running so slowly were going to impact families, people with kids, people who were drunk and belligerent, who would then go take that frustration out on other people. Chris, those people might be the biggest losers of the weekend, in my eyes. (sighs) Now that I've gotten all of this off my chest, we get to dust off a segment we had. Chris, we only got to do it three times last year. One of my favorites, <sighs> it sucks to have to do it week one, but I still love it, people who have it worse than Bills fans.
2: The worst.
1: People whose lives are worse than ours, just to put our suffering in perspective. First off, cornerback Jason Ferrett. This guy has some of the worst luck out of any football player I've heard of in recent history. Chris, think, how many injury-prone players have you ever heard of? Just in
2: Bill's history. Sammy Watkins. Okay. That seems to be the most recent one for me.
1: Okay. How many games did Sammy Watkins miss here in a Bill's jersey, do you think?
2: I don't, I don't have an answer for you on that one. Of course you don't.
1: Jason Verrett's one of these cornerbacks who, when he's healthy, like in 2015, he can play like a pro bowler in terms of his man coverage abilities. But he's never healthy It doesn't matter where he goes, what city he plays in, what uniform he has on. I mean, he's only played 40 of a potential 112 games through his career this far. Three of the last four seasons, he's played fewer than two full games. Chris, that sounds horrific, correct? It does. The sports injury predictor over at DraftSharks.com listed him as a quote-unquote high risk and that his percentage chance to miss at least two quarters of football in 2021 Came in at a whopping 95%. So with that in mind, hearing that he's yet again tore his ACL at the age of 30. And then he's just one season ahead of landing on the free agent market again. That guy's fucked. He's screwed. It's brutal for a guy. And far worse than anything that happened to the Buffalo Bills this weekend. That guy's career might have just ended (laughs) <laughs> like that's ah also ravens fans chris who is it who is it worse than Bill's fans how about fans that thought that you had a chance to win a game
2: and fans that actively wear the color purple
1: <laughs> true strong point
2: we had that game on at work yesterday and I watched I was like you know like I had some time and it's like they get the play down to the goal line. Derek Carr completes that pass. They review it. Set up at first and goal. QB sneak. They don't get it. Five-yard penalty. Sets him back. Interception in the end zone. You're like, oh, well, there goes all the momentum. Baltimore's going to go down and win when this game. When that
1: happened, Derek Carr looked. The, the, the cameras caught it perfectly. Derek Carr looked at the sideline and just yelled, what the fuck? Like, how does this happen? Yeah. Why am I snake? It's called being close to the Davises.
2: And when when I saw that happen, I was like, I walked out of the break room and I drove back over to another department to do some work. And I pulled out my phone and then I saw that the Raiders won. I was like, what the fuck happened? I was yeah. like, oh, Lamar fumbled. Yeah. That's- the Ravens
1: are the first team to lose twice in one game. <laughs> That's hilarious. Also, you think it can't get worse? Their quarterback can't get his extension done because Lamar, who's choosing to be his own agent, is quote-unquote solely focused on football. That's literally why you pay other people. (laughs) And at this point, they might be the 2021's version of of the 2020 San Francisco 49ers. Three running backs with ACL tears and Achilles injuries in one calendar week. They lose all-pro Marcus Peters just one play after ro- losing Gus Edwards. Then they go into last night's game and they lose one of their a sophomore guard to a pretty significant knee injury. And then they have to plug in a rookie on an offensive line that was getting beaten like a drum all night. Chris, that's a recipe for disaster. Everyone's going to keep pointing, if you're a Ravens fan, to this idea that Lamar Jackson's great and he's going to make everything better. I think last night showed I don't know that he can. (laughs) I don't know that he can. But you know is it worse than them? Jaguars fans. Or even more so, fans of Urban Meyer. The Jaguars in losing Sunday's game are now closing in on being just the third team in NFL history to lose twenty consecutive games. That just on its face is hysterical, isn't it?
2: You know what? They were 1-15 last year. They won opening day against the Colts, and that was it? I think so.
1: Your star quarterback was okay, right? The guy you tanked for. He might be the only bright spot out of anything that happened to you despite his three interceptions. What I look at is, do you remember all the crying Urban Meyer was doing after free agency about how hard team building is at the NFL level? Remember, oh, well, the center free agency system, it's very complicated and it's, it's difficult to manage. And blah, 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 blah. Maybe Jaguars fans should have seen that for what it was instead of just dismissing it as uh, comments the media blew out of proportion. I say that because despite entering the 2021 offseason as the team with the most money to spend in the league, the Jaguars started the year by letting Tyrod Taylor leading one of the NFL's weakest rosters and whose wide receiver core of Danny Amendola, Pharaoh Brown, and Brandon Cooks are a lot like Tyrod. In terms of being repeat cast-offs from other franchises... Almost like an older version of the Bad News Bears flirt with 300 yards passing and a 112 QBR.
0: (laughs) Wow, you suck at this.
1: They also gave up more than 160 yards on the ground, which is hysterical considering they traded away their best run-stopping linebacker to the Steelers. It's almost like you need good players to play NFL caliber defense, right Chris? Yeah. Yeah. If things keep going in that direction, considering they play Denver, Arizona, Cincy, and Miami over the next six weeks of football, they could actually be flirting with history made in 1976 by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in their 26 consecutive losses, and make this snarky, snarky tweet from CFL Reddit on Twitter a hilarious reality, where he said, Sources... Urban Meyer considering resigning as head coach of Jaguars, saying his, quote, unquote, heart just isn't in it.
2: Let me, well, let me, let me ask you this. If the season keeps going the way it, way it is, any chance will Bobby Petrino his way over to USC now that they fired Clay Helton?
1: It'd be one of the funniest goddamn things that has ever happened to an NFL team ever. Like, you look at some of the hilarious things that's happened in Bill's coaching, this will pale in comparison. It, it'll be up there with Nick Saban, who I love, Just abandoning the Miami Dolphins? Mm -hmm. Except this will be for far less cause. This will just be, hey, I suck. I'm over my head. What is this, Lane Kiffin style? Yeah. Gotta go! And he just grabs the next golden parachute and skips out of town. What an idiot. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this guy up. Titans offensive tackle Taylor Lewan. It wasn't that long ago Taylor LeJuan had to deactivate his Twitter account for a few days after just chapping everybody's ass raw over here in Bill's Mafia for the shit-talking he did after our loss to them last season. Yesterday, he was using his social media to eat a whole... uh, Chris, a bucket? A bushel? What's the proper measure of crow?
2: Bucket of crow.
1: I mean... On a day when the Tennessee Titans get embarrassed at home, losing thirty eight to thirteen to the Cardinals, Taylor Lewan in his first game coming back from an ACL injury was just fucking embarrassed by Phoenix pass rusher Chandler Jones. Beaten straight up mono and mono for four of Chandler Jones' now league leading five sacks. Five sacks in a single game, Chris. When's the last time you heard of a pass rusher
2: when probably Martin, Michael Strahan when he set his record? Maybe. Over the course of the season, yeah. Maybe.
1: He later goes on Twitter and puts out a tweet thanking Jones for exposing him. Like, somehow that's going to—like, that's some sort of flex. To be like, hey, man, thanks for keeping me honest about how hard life in the NFL is. I'm going to get better. Boo! Fuck this bum. The reality is he's a 31-year-old offensive tackle coming off a terrible late-season knee injury. He might not be back, and I don't even know what quote-unquote back looks like when you're that old. I mean, he wasn't the only one on the line who sucked. I mean, Chandler Jones had seven pressures. Zach Allen, the rookie, had four quarterback pressures on 23 rushes. J.J. Watt had 32 pass rushes and four quarterback pressures. I mean, things sucked for the Titans across the board who weren't expecting to get punched in the mouth like that right out of the gate at the start of a season. Essentially picking up where they left off in the postseason, getting embarrassed behind a lackluster offensive attack. Luan's return was something that these hacks over at fansighting.com were declaring him. Hey, these dickheads were calling him a shoe in for a Pro Bowl and crowing about all the great things he was going to do for the. How bad would you feel, Chris, if you penned an article? talking about how Taylor Luan's return was the greatest thing that happened this offseason for the Titans and that he was going to make the Pro Bowl. And then you watch that game.
2: I would probably retire as a writer. I'd just hang it up.
1: The reality is he's an old man by NFL standards. Fresh off a horrible injury, trying to pick up the slack for a bunch of other dickheads who don't know what they're doing. And they allowed their entire offensive attack to just grind to a halt. It couldn't happen to a better group of people, and I can't wait to see them in a handful of weeks.
2: <laughs> Last, lastly on the list would be uh, John Mulaney's ex-wife. Your cokehead husband leaves you to plant his demon seed inside of Olivia Munn.
1: Wait, Th- that's are got, these all things that just happened?
2: Yeah. John Mulaney got divorced and then immediately planted his demon seed inside Olivia Munn. They're having a baby. so
1: John Mulaney's a cokehead? Oh, yeah. It explains so much. Yeah. Especially those stupid suits. No one dresses like that. The Seinfeld. 19, 19, Seinfeld. 1980 called, it wants its suits back. But now it makes sense because he's still partying like it's 1986. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you and me can be petty dickheads about everything. Right? It's one of the, It's It's part of our charm. <sighs> Chris, your final thoughts on this Bills game.
2: It's one game. It's nothing to, you know, oh, my God, the world's ending. It's just one game. The Steelers are good. They were a playoff team last year. What can we do? Move on to week two. Come up with a better game plan.
1: I'm going to take it a step farther. First of all, deep breaths, everybody, and say it with us.
2: Goosefraba. The
1: Bills played one of the three to four toughest games of their schedule this season against a team that they've matched up with fairly evenly in their previous two, driven by a Hall of Fame quarterback and a head coach who season in and out has that team prepped, ready to fucking rock. Am I happy we lost? Absolutely fucking not. Getting stung by bees without enough coffee in my system to truly process it pales in comparison to how much losing that football game sucked ass. And no, I'm not one of these people who's going to start throwing on optimistic tropes like so and so lost week one and still won the Super Bowl. So burp, 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 burp. that doesn't do anything for me because it feels like a cop out. The reality is that our team got caught flat-footed by a prepared, talented, and maybe vindictive opponent, and we got punched in the mouth. But is that uh, Mushmouth uh, Rocky? You know, Sylvester Stallone? It's not about how hard you get hit, it's about how, how, how hard you can keep getting hit and keep moving forward. I mean, we got bullied in places we didn't expect to, but a game plan that only helped to speed up our head-fast descent directly into the wood chipper after halftime. We didn't adjust well in-game, which is again why Brian Dable deserves zero of the week, and we as fans are vindicated in having reason to call into question some of the ways the roster was constructed and managed this offseason. The results a loss that not only left a bad taste in everybody's mouth, but in speaking firsthand created real animosity amongst people. From the apoplectic people I saw walking out of the stadium, to the fights that I saw that were captured on social media, to the ones that happened in group chats all over the city and various parts of the country. I mean, I would know about that. Considering I precipitated a big one out of nothing. Just misdirected frustration with the guys over at Cover One. Yeah. Chris, how nice is it to open up our DMs and see that I just get drunk and just flame them? Make them angry? The same way I do to you.
2: Yeah. Except there wasn't a... You guys didn't have a bet come out of it, right? No. Like a steak dinner yet? Not this time. Not yet.
1: Someday. I mean, fuck... Hugo in Portugal, who was supposed to be at this game with us, was on an idyllic beach and said that when the punt got blocked and returned for a touchdown, it marked just the second time in his entire life that a sporting event made him throw something. I mean, he also mentioned that it might just be my bad influence, which is pretty accurate considering I'm trying to normalize tossing furniture. But it's also one game. You can't win or lose the Super Bowl in one week. You can't win your division by winning one game. If that were the case, the 2019 New England Patriots would have rode their 33-3 win over the Steelers last year to a championship two years ago. And the 2020 Ravens, when they beat Cleveland 38-6, they would have gone all the way to the Lombardi. But they didn't. Chris, in the notes, I have a tweet. Bill's quarterback watch on Twitter it's one of the best. It's that like, confused LeBron James face looking directly up. Talking about 1-0 Sam Darnold, but 0-1 Lamar Jackson, 0-1 Josh Allen, and 0-1 Baker Mayfield. <laughs> Chris, how likely is that to bear out for the rest of the season?
2: Uh, that's, Sam Darnold will probably go to the middle, to the bottom of the pack.
1: Fantastic, right? Because yeah. you're a pragmatic fan. Things didn't get off to a great start, and there's reason to question how the Bills are going to fix some of the most critical issues in hopes of competing with the NFL's best. But but it's it's one game. I mean, leaving the stadium after Sunday's loss, the guys and I are in the truck and we're driving home. We're talking about everything we saw and everything we experienced, and just lamenting the poor execution, the cost of the game. We're sitting here. Going up 20A and we're stuck in traffic. And I realize that there's still time for me to cut out and hit this cut through, which involves some side streets that would let us circumvent the intersection that essentially is the bottleneck for that entire piece of the traffic pattern. You know what I'm talking about. We've done it before. Yep. Well, I, take, I, I, I tell everybody, I'm like, hang on. I'm busting a Louie. I take a sharp left and then I hear it. So when we're packing up the truck... Now, Chris, you know how anal I am about that. Yeah. And it's something that we miss you. We miss you in that regard of having someone reliable to help me pack up the truck. Someone had put a 250-count tray of plastic silverware on top of this big plastic organizer that I use for paper plates, for napkins, for bowls, everything to go inside of it so that when it's windy, this shit isn't just blowing all over our tailgate because I'm a professional. Well, someone put it on top instead of inside. That tray flew off and exploded all over Potter. And all I hear is plastic shrapnel bouncing around in my back seat. Just this clinking of cheap plastic filling the cab of the truck. Now, Chris, in your history with me, how do I normally handle things like that?
2: Uh, You find out who did that and then end that friendship. (laughs) It's that simple.
1: Years ago, in that same scenario, I'd probably pull over, set fire to the vehicle, walk home in frustration, and not allow anyone to come with me. Instead, I laughed so hard that everything hurt. I had tears in my eyes. My, my stomach hurt. And through that laughter, the ride home was one of the lightest that I've ever felt after a Buffalo Bills loss. And in that way, I was able to relax and just kind of take it in stride. The way I imagine fans of legitimately good football teams do. And just enjoy the rest of my day, my evening with my kid and my friends. And we had a great night. And We all went home. We all went our separate ways without any violence, without any yelling, without any chaos. <sighs> We're a great group of football fans. Certainly better than what anybody saw of us on Sunday. Josh Allen's a good quarterback. Certainly better than what anyone saw of him on Sunday. This is a good football team. And it's better than anything we saw on Sunday. And next Sunday, we're going to get an opportunity to show that to everyone. I can't wait for it to happen. Make sure you tune in tomorrow night for our preview featuring Elf Arteaga from 3 yards per carry. Looking at our Week 2 matchup in South Florida against the Dolphins, we also have, later on in the week, our AFC East Roundup podcast coming out. Chris, I feel like we've put together a great, a great spread of Bills coverage.
2: Yeah, it's going to be great. Three times a week. Get ready.
1: And I'm still finding ways to drag these podcasts out longer than I said I would, aren't I? Yeah. Hell yeah! That's what we're about over here. Guys, this is going to be great. I can't wait to see what Josh Allen is capable of down in South Beach. But for tonight, we're going to get the fuck out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. Stick with us because there's still good things coming. And this has been your Rock Pile Report.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus.